Welcome to All the War They Wants. I am Jeff Engel, and today I'm joined by uh, Sarah Catherine Bedford, the Executive Director for Hovenus and Camino, which is, uh, yeah, I'll let you describe it. You could probably do a better job than I can, but welcome to uh, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, Hovenus and Camino is a boy's home. Not to be confused with an orphanage, we do not adopt our children, but we do care for them while their families are unable. Uh, in Tegucigalpa, well, outside of Tegucigalpa, Honduras, we have 53 boys that live with us right now. I say us, I live in Nashville, outside of Nashville, but I help, you know, do all the fundraising and whatnot. But we have a great, beautiful campus down there, take care of these boys. And we have a myriad of resources that we open to the local community as well. Oh, that's fantastic. It's, yeah. uh, you must give a lot of yourself to do that. So, and I also gain a lot. I mean, yeah. you know, you know. It's so how long have you been, been, been doing this? And yeah, I, I want to know both how long and, and how'd you end up doing something in Honduras when you're from the middle of uh, yeah. Nashville? Yeah, right. So early, no, late 90s, my parents started taking us on mission trips to Honduras. It was very different back then. Like most places outside of the States, things have become more and more like the states, Americanized. Um, and so Honduras is no different. But back in the late 90s, I mean, ex extreme poverty, mission trips were not common as they are now. Um, and so I started being exposed to this culture and to this work, and I fell in love with it. I knew right away I wanted to study Spanish. I wanted to do something to um, help further this mission on a regular basis. So I was only 10, but um, uh, that really started to shape what I was going to do in the future. And so when I went to college, I, of course, studied Spanish and I studied business, hoping that I could go into a nonprofit space or development or whatnot. And I did. Um, and so I actually out, out of college went to work local nonprofit, um, but I gained a lot of experience. And of course, all the while continuing to go to Honduras and continuing to work in this area. And the organization Hovenus and Camino actually opened in 2004. And my family and I were involved since the beginning. And then when I, um, it was about 10 years in the nonprofit space. I had, I was living in Ohio at the time. I had my first child and I said, I really want to move back home to Nashville. And that's where the board of Hovenus and Camino is based. And so they were at the time looking for an executive director. And I thought I have years of experience in nonprofit now. I speak Spanish and I love Hovenus and Camino. And it all kind of married together uh, about four years ago. Wow. So uh, obviously from the late nineties, you have to have seen a lot of changes in Honduras. So oh, you, yeah. you know, walk us through what you're seeing, what you've seen over time yeah. um, and how Ovenus has grown, you know, and, and mm -hmm. supported more people in that process. Yeah. I would love to say that the poverty has decreased, right? Like mm -hmm. that we've seen poverty go down. That's not really the case, but you do see more malls. Yeah. You, you see the richer getting rich, richer. And, um, and you see the others kind of staying the same and still having the same needs. But um, what I have seen is more resources becoming available. More people, like I said, the mission field has grown. More people from places like Nashville, places all over the states really coming down to um, create more spaces like Hovenus and Camino, doing more things to provide for the people who are living there as they can, building homes. Uh, that's something my husband actually is really involved in. Um, and then with Hovenus, we started just as three dorms on this eight acre campus and it was very bare. I mean, it kind of looked like a desert. If I were to show you pictures now, I've heard, I've had people say it looks like the garden of Eden. It's beautiful. 
So not only has it grown in landscape, but we've added more and more boys over the year. We have 30 staff. So, you know, we're employing 30 people that have great jobs and great benefits with us. And in addition to that, we've opened a clinic over the years, a pharmacy and an education center. And not only do those serve our boys and our staff, but now we've opened our gates to anybody in the community that wants to come. And I say anybody because people will travel five hours to come to our clinic because they know that we're going to take care of them. And culturally, you don't want anything to be completely free. You want to, you know, just that's how the culture is. They want to feel that they're getting a good service. So we'll charge them what's equal to maybe a dollar in America. Um, But they know that it's going to be affordable and that we'll care for them. So it's been really neat to see it grow from the three dorms to now. I couldn't even, I mean, 10 to 15 buildings on the campus. We have a farm. uh, We milk cows. We grow various foods. Um, Again, that feeds, but also we'll sell whatever we don't eat and make a little bit of money. Um, And then the other thing that's interesting is back in the late 90s when I first went, we had a one terminal airport. So tiny. I mean, you felt like you were going back in time to this little airport. It grew over the years. They renovated it. And now they've got a brand new airport in a totally different city. And that's always been illustrative to me of the growth of Honduras, (laughs) that things like that have grown and become nicer. But again, like I said in the beginning, that it hasn't changed anything for the lives of the 60 to 70 percent that live in extreme poverty. Yeah. So the, yeah, the really the topic of this podcast always has been the, um, what are you fighting for and what unconventional approaches are you taking? So mm-hmm. I'm really interested you know, in this, uh, the process of how the boys end up at Hovenus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you walk us through like how it is that they, they go from, um, their inception point into mm-hmm. being a part of this community that you've built. Yes. So like I said, many of them still have families. It's just that sadly the families can't care for them. I would say of the 55 living there now, three to five, we have no contact with family. Um, the others, the government has come in and said, and this is crazy, right? You live in a third world country, one of the poorest countries in the world, and we're identifying you as too poor to care for your children. So you're the poorest of the poor. And so their child services essentially will come in and say, we're going to take these kids and put them in a home. And Hovness is, I would like to say elite. And we're one of the first ones they call, which I think is wonderful and says a lot about what we do. Um, So that's a lot of times what will happen. They'll find a child that just can't be cared for in the home. I'll give an example. We had a family of seven kids with, with a dad, no mom, all living in what would probably be the size of your shed in your backyard sleeping on the floor. So the government took the two youngest and brought them to Hovenus. We've had cases of some boys, they were just on the street wandering and the people in the village would call children's services and say, somebody needs to take this child. Um, And then the other would be they're living in like the children's home provided by the state and they'll occasionally try to place those children in a better place like Hovenus. but it's really just it's the government or or families that see these children and say this they need better they need care and they'll call a place like Hovenus and and we'll take them in. Oh. Yeah. So you you know you mentioned they brought the the two youngest for that um, particular family. What's the <laughs> age range of boys that that uh, that you guys are taking care of? We're so the three houses are based on three different age groups and we've typically been pretty even based on all of those. So you think young elementary, middle, kind of high school. 
uh, boys. Well, our yellow house is the youngest, so I'll probably say yellow house a few times. Um, we've actually had to promote several of them to the second house, the orange house, because within the last, basically during the pandemic, we brought in six babies un mm -hmm. under a year, um, which is a little bittersweet. It's exciting that we get to love on them and care for them, but to think that so many babies are out there without without care. Um, so, I mean, from day one, we have as young as six weeks. Um, and then now we have up until college. So that's something else that we've grown to. Um, we've added a college dorm. And so previously when you were 18 and you graduated high school, we said, okay, now it's time. Legally, you're on your own. But now they have the option if they're in college that they can move to the university dorm and live at the front of campus and they're much more independent. They have to cook for themselves, budget, grocery shop, clean their own their own place and all of that. So right now I think we have as young as three months up until early 20s. Wow. So, you know, you've basically changed these these boys lives and now they're progressing. You know, what are they doing when they're you know, when they become adults and transitioning you know, kind of back onto their own? Yeah. You'd, you'd love to say all of them are wildly successful and have everything that they would want and need, right? Mm -hmm. But of course, that's not always the case. I would say 80% of these boys go on. They're either in university but wanting to live with family again, or they've gone on to some kind of job. And we have ministers. I know of one young man. He's a preacher in Mexico. Um, we have people who open bodegas, little stores. They have a dream of owning their own store and having a family. We have several in the um, Naval Academy or in the Army. Um, so working for police or the or the Army is a really big um, area, a big profession because it's stable and they offer benefits and all that good stuff. So we have several of those. Um, and we actually have several bilingual boys. So some of those are starting to graduate and they're doing translating for different groups. Um, they'll work in restaurants where the Americans tend to come. Uh, we have some people working in call centers, you know, and I do identify all of those as successful. Whereas here we might think, oh, you need to be an accountant or a doctor or a dentist. In Honduras, it's very different. I mean, those are still wildly successful pr professions, yes. Um, but making money, being independent, being able to live on your own and pull your future family out of poverty, whereas who knows where some of these young men would have been. Right. Um, we count that obviously as success. And many of our boys are graduating. They're graduating from high school 100%, and many are graduating from college. And the rate of high school graduation in all of Honduras is around 60%. Right. So for us to be able to, to say that, uh, just the graduation rate is incredible. And that gives them, uh, a, of course, a leg up on wherever they end up after that. Right. So, you know, the <laughs> blaring question to me is what's happening with the girls? Mm. You know, if you end up in this, in that scenario, I mean, that, I had that, that experience where, you know, you're, you know, homeless and poverty, you know, it's mm. a, you know, you've got brothers and sisters and to have, you know, the boys go one direction and you know what's happening with the girls do you have any partnerships or anything like that 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 are helping the, the female children maintain that connectivity with the their family sure uh yeah it's a question we get a lot and i mean obviously i'm a female i have a daughter <laughs> yeah. i very much support resources for women um and we work with organizations that support only women but in the last few years well and let me back up and say why why just boys anyways 
so in the late 90s, actually not long after I first went to Honduras, they were hit by Hurricane Mitch, which was devastating to the country, but especially the area where we are. And um, it somehow left more young boys abandoned in the streets than we they tended to find girls, just a mm -hmm. higher percentage. And so that raised the need of we really need to get these boys somewhere. Um, but fast forward to, I would say, five years ago, one of our assistant directors was asked to go and help start a um, home for girls. And while it wasn't something that our board did, it wasn't what we funded, they asked us to partner with them and help them learn how to start this and how to raise these girls effectively. And one of the cool things, we have a carpentry shop, and that's been something we've had since day one. We've built almost all their furniture. Um, they will ask our house parents to come to their organization, to their campus and train their house parents. And so we've been able to resource share and that's been really neat. So we're, we are very much sister organizations, but at the same time, we're separate entities. We're not we're not related as far as our 501c3 or our board right. or any of that. Um, so it's been neat. So I get to tell people we do. We, we are investing still our time and our resources into this girl's home. And there's others like that. And we always have had this future dream that maybe we would open an organi a, a girl's home next door to ours. Um, but there's various reasons that hasn't happened at sure. least yet. I mean, imagine the little boys and girls sneaking off and oh, creating problems. There. Right. <laughs> We've got plenty of teen boys. We've got enough on our hands right now. So. Yeah. So you 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 mentioned your husband's um, and and building houses there. So how did that uh, how did his participation in this you know come to be? Yeah. So I started taking my husband before we got engaged. Don't ask me what year. I do not know, but. We've been married nine years, so, you know, probably 12, 13 years ago. He started going down with us. He fell in love with Honduras, as I had. And we were always involved in groups that would build one or two houses a week while we were down there. So you go to these poor communities. We have people that we know we have relationships with, and they'll identify this family doesn't have a home. This family's home's falling apart, and let's go rebuild. Well, my husband's been in remodeling and construction since he was probably 15. And so he was always very interested in that side of the work. Well, as he developed in his career and started his business, he said, what I really want to do is when you build a home with me, his company's named Lugo, when you build a home or we renovate a kitchen, a portion of those proceeds are going to go back to per to purchasing supplies and building a home in Honduras. Wow. So it's really neat. It's a cycle. And um, the coolest part of it for me is his father grew up in poverty in Brazil. And so eventually we'll probably do some home builds in, in Brazil, but it's kind of that circle back of that's where he started, my husband, right. essentially. And now he's giving back to people who were raised, who were raised just like his dad. Sure. Um, so that's so. for the way I characterize that is, you know, you, you have plank holders kind of on the, on your mission with you, mm -hmm. you know, that, that ultimately amplify it. Uh, along, you know, you've been doing this for quite a few years now, dragging people down to Honduras and, and, uh, getting them hooked. Do you have any other people in your life that you've, you've turned into major advocates for the cause? Oh yeah. Well, and I mean, it's funny, it's not always me necessarily, but some of my very closest relationships are because of Honduras. So like my maid of honor, we met through our mission work in Honduras. Mm -hmm. My husband and I actually got engaged in Honduras. Um, but you know, I would say like Carmen Brooks, she's one of those that 
went down and probably was hesitant in the beginning and now is trying to find avenues for us to talk about the work that we're doing. Um, I had a, a young girl that went with me when I was in high school and her parents really forced her. And, and I said, I, you know, have her come with me. I think she'll have a great time. I mean, kicking and screaming. I'm not even kidding. And cried nonstop at the end of the week when she had to get on the plane to come home. Right. Um, it's one of those things like once you get down there, I don't care where you're at. If you're like interested, if you're skeptical, if you don't want to go at all, you ine will inevitably come back changed and an advocate. So really anybody who's ever been a part of those trips has come back and said, what can I do? <laughs> How can yeah. I help here to, to be an advocate, to grow the support base Great. for what you're doing? Yeah. So the people who are listening, you know, what can they do besides, you know, jump on a plane down to to Honduras? Yeah. The, you know, I, I always say it doesn't have to be that you're doing work in Honduras. Pick a pick a place locally and internationally, like have have your two things that you're doing, because by investing here, you're improving work here and you're growing advocates ju for just helping others. Right. Get outside of yourself. Um, I think it's so easy, especially in the last two years, to be really insular because we haven't been connecting with people. We even even in the local communities, we haven't been able to get out because it's not been safe. Um, or we've had literal shields between us. And so that connectivity has been hindered. So I always encourage people get involved locally because it'll it'll just continue to grow your heart and your passion for helping others. Um, and in doing that, spread the word of the help that that is needed elsewhere. Um, yeah. So Hovenus is a great example of that. But some really just easy, tangible things when it comes to a place like Honduras or Hovenus and Camino, you know, as you get rid of clothes, um, there's always goodwill, but you know, call someone like me and say, Hey, would you, are you taking a bag down soon? I've got all these things that I would, I would love to give, um, write encouraging notes to the kids. Um, each kid has a sponsor, but they love receiving personal things from people here saying, Hey, I'm thinking about you and you know, um, you're on my heart and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we also have events. So I'd love, you know, we actually just Monday had a golf tournament. Uh, that raised about $37,000. So come out to our golf tournament. We do a run in the fall. Um, come be a part of that or volunteer to be a part of that. Obviously, I'd love to get anybody who wants to go on a trip now that we're coming back together finally. Yeah. Um, but there's so many just simple, tangible ways like that. And if you can't go, you know, I know of someone who would love to do something like that. Connect them to an organization like Covenus and Camino. Obviously, there's always the giving part. You know, yeah. the investing in the work is critical um, right. or sitting down and saying, hey, I'd love to have coffee with you and hear about what you're doing and, and what's something that, like I have a great example. There's a gentleman who does um, security. And he said that I never this never occurred to me until now we were having this conversation. What if I came and set up some security cameras for you on the campus? That's an incredible way to serve Hovenus you know, to, mm -hmm. to be able to give at cost that what I would normally do for somebody and offer security for your boys down in Honduras. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh there are lots of ways to help as you described, but mm -hmm. you know, I think the, the bigger point is, you know, we each individually, whether we're, you know, very privileged or not, um, you know, we have to have something that we're fighting for, yeah. you know, or there's really no point in getting up in the morning. Yes. Um, so 100%. I greatly appreciate you know, the work that you do um, you. and the work that your husband uh, is, 
you know, is doing alongside of you, along with the, the rest of the team at Hovindus and Camino. Um, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having yeah, me. It was a pleasure. And this has been Sarah Catherine Thetford, the executive director at Hovindus and Camino. Um, listen in next time with all the word they want. Thank you. <laughs>